I'm so fucking proud of that. Every time, <laughs> every time. He's done. Hey guys, welcome to Aussie Craft Distillers shooting the shit, and we've got a big one tonight, and we're excited. Or it's uh, it's morning where these gentlemen are, and they're over in uh, one is in Ireland and one is in um, in Scotland. So we've got Mark Rainier, Waterford. Yeah, hi. In uh, Edinburgh, and we've got Ned Gahan from uh, Waterford, and you're in Waterford. G'day, guys. G'day. Hello, guys. How are you going? Hello. hello. Well, this is a this is a big one, and this has been one that we've wanted to do for a long time. Um, slight slight change because we were actually going to have uh, a local craft malt on Voyager Craft Malt, but unfortunately, due to an injury, um, they can't make it. But um, last uh, year. Yeah, g'day, Stu. Yeah, unfortunately, but we have 100% Waterford, and uh, we're going to be talking all things Waterford, all things whiskey terroir, uh, and other things. So, um, yeah, guys, thank you, thank you for this. It's um, very difficult to put these things together with uh, everyone for reasons we all know, and everyone's moving around. And Mark, you've you've been over in uh, in uh, the US just recently. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got back yesterday. Uh, um, so, so, yeah, it's a whirlwind tour. Uh, um, America, New York, um, Dallas, Chicago, Boston. <laughs> so wow. it was uh, um, quite a trip. Getting around. Is that all? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a big, it's a big place. You know, uh, you know, it's fifty countries you know, in one. So um, mm. you know, all with their own regulations and their own. Uh, rules and you know so it, it's you know we're, we're putting a lot of attention into getting it right in america and mm. um i mean it's it's a it's a long process and what's the general feedback that you're getting so far how how is the u.s market uh responding to to waterford as a whole and as a oh, it's, it's uh, interesting point because you know it, it, you know as 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 you know irish whiskey has been defined as being jameson Mm. Uh, um, you know, you know, Pernod Ricard had a monopoly, you know, for for twenty five years. So, so really, you know, it, it's synonymous. Uh, you know, Irish whiskey is Jameson's. Jameson's is Irish whiskey. So when you come along with a different proposition altogether, um, you know, we're doing single malt um, only. Um, mm. You know, it, it's a different, it's a different ball game. You know. Uh, and of course, you know, there's there's also this thing about you know which way Irish whiskey leans, and 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 the vast majority of it leans towards bourbon, um, and some of it leans towards Scotland, um, and of course that's sort of where we are, leading you know, being single malt only. Um, so that's that's the background. So so you know Irish whiskey, the company, you know uh, um, James has, has blazed the trail. Mm. Um, and you know, boy, have they done it a good job. You know, mm. uh, you know, the, the simple thing is, in Scotland, eighty percent of Scotch whiskey is made by five companies, hmm. and right. in Ireland, it's by one. Eighty percent is by one. So, so, so one shouldn't, you know, forget, um, you, you know, just you know, the immense work that's, you know. A, a, Pernarica, our Irish distillers, has done, um, and and of course we're coming along with a different proposition. You know, this based on uh, on terroir, uh, single malt whiskey, 
Um, and then you, 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 you look at the distribution uh, uh, um, mechanisms in America. Um, as I said, you know, each state is different. You know, you go to te uh, Texas and it's got a four-tier system. You go everywhere else, it's a three-tier system. You know, some of this is, you know, goes back to the mob and it goes back to, uh, um, you know, the days of um, uh, prohibition mm. and religious uh, 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 reasons and uh, teetotalism. And, you know, it's, it, you know, you know, we always go on about America being land of the free. Far <laughs> well, from it, from what I believe. <laughs> you know, fool me. Uh, um, and then, and then, and then on top of that, uh, um, the bit I find um, the most uh, thrilling, the most rewarding, is um, you know when we came, you know when we came of age at three. It was the day before lockdown. Um, went to America, all terribly excited, and of course everybody told us to get lost. <laughs> and, and then, and then, and then now, sort of now, it's that's changed. You know, now those guys, the very same people that said, you know, no thanks, have come back and, well, we might have been a bit hasty. Uh, um, so, so I think in America there is a, a realisation that, that, that the, um, you know, the, 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 what's made them so big and so great, um, you know, the pile high, uh, big brands, um, there is a, um, a thirst for um, something real. Uh, something authentic. Before we ruined it, I just want to do a little quiz with you quickly. Um, which bottle have we opened? Um, you want me to say that? Biodynamic. Yes. Correct. Yes. Yeah. You there win you nothing. With the biodynamic, I think you're going to be the winners. Yeah. <laughs> well, three, indeed, three years, two months, and a day old whiskey, and uh, it it it, pan, it punches uh, packs a punch way above that. I think. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Age is relative. Yeah. Quality oh, is everything. Absolutely. See, I get I get from the range of that I've had so far, just a uh, uh, butteriness is the best way that I can describe it. Waterford for me is buttery. It's got that oily, viscous, um, soft, but softness to it that I can only describe as butter. I fucking yeah, love well, it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a perfectly fine observation. Barley. Barley, you know, that, that unctuousness that you're getting on the bouquet, the nose, it's barley um, because of the way we, we mill it anaerobically. And then on your palate, that butteriness, the gras, as the French wine term is, you know, that oiliness, that richness comes from the trickle distillation. Slow it all down uh, um, mm. during distillation, slow the whole thing down and you get unctuous. Um, spirit. I mean, Ned will tell you more. You know, when, when you when you when you see it come out of the spirit safe, you can see it sort of glooping out uh, because <laughs> you've got all that 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 richness of alcohol. Trickle distillation, slow it down, and that's what you get. On top of that, we've got things like uh, um, dur during the fermentation, uh, we have, um, as you know, a, a sort of seven eight day fermentation, thermoregulated for intensity of flavour, but that mm. also gives us the chance to get 
and I believe we're the only people that do this, uh, um, a malolactic fermentation. Right. Um, and that's where you, uh, the harsh malic acid is converted into softer, softer lactic acid. And I think that's probably also got something to do with that mouthfeel that you're, and you're interested on that point, Mark. Um, the biodynamic, uh, that biodynamic whiskey is the longest fermentation at 194 hours. Mm, there you go. So if you're doing that in another distillery, I'd get sacked. Neither gets that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, so it's a very good point. You know, the fermenter is something I've always, always, you know, ever since you know the eighties, the nineties, when I when I saw thermoregulation, you know, happening being introduced into 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 Burgundy, which is something very close to me. And of course, they learned it from you guys in Australia and California. Um, you know, I, I'd always thought, well, well, you know, why don't we do this with whiskey and and mm. and. It, it, um, you know the, the the normal fermentation, uh, normal I hasten to add, is 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 in those large uh, um, Douglas fir um, fermenters, um, and and the actual you know the wood itself acts as a sort of thermal blanket. It sort of uh, allows the temperature to be absorbed as it rises during fermentation, and then to sort of le lend it back as it cools down. So yeah. it, it, you know it's provided a, a sort of thermal effect, but you know the long and short it is the te the temperature is the, the the fermentation is controlled by ambient temperature. You know one of the reasons you know Scotland I I I love um, you know where I've been Brookladdy, um, you know that that sort of um, uh, uh, you know two day fermentation, you know uh, uh, sixty hours uh, uh, you know, more or less. Is, de is determined by that, by the ambient mm. temperature. You know, the, the, the winter, summer temperature, there's barely five degrees in between the two. Um, mm. Industrial uh, uh, fermentation, you know, the big boys, well, they want to speed it up. They want it over and done with. You know, time is money. They want it over and done with as quickly mm. as possible. So very simply, they put double the amount of yeast in. It's called a high-density fermentation. And the thing goes off like a rocket, and it's all over in a day. Well, and then there's a third way, which is you cool that te that temperature rise. And we're only talking five degrees, you know, 28 to 32, 33. It's, it's only a small temperature rise, but a bit like a surfer. If you can ride that, if you can prevent it going too high too quick or mm -hmm. the contrary, collapsing and going too cold, in which case your fermentation stalls. You know, if you can ride that, 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 like a surfer, if you can ride that wave, you can extend it out longer and longer and longer. And that gives you this, this, this intensity of flavor um, mm. that, that comes from uh, um, a, an extended thermoregulated ferment. And we've got all the space, we've got all the fermenters. Um, so, so, you know, why not? Mm. So, how many different. Uh, sorry, Nick, go on. You were, no, I was just going to say, I'm interested in the biodynamic as well as. From from my head anyway, the nose is a bit fruitier and the taste is spicy. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what you what you'll find is um, on a lot of our whiskies, you'll have two experiences. You'll have you'll have the the smell and the taste. And sometimes you know when you, you have a whiskey and the and the nose and the and the taste follows a pattern. On a lot of our, our whiskies, they don't. On every mm. one of our whiskies, I'd say they don't. You have a kind of a spoil, uh, uh, a plum and apricot kind of a nose, fruity nose, and then on the taste and the on the biodynamic, as far as I can remember, there's a nice bit of spice up front, which you're not mm. expecting. 
So mm-hmm. you're you're getting a lot of contrast and you're getting a lot of uh, even complexities on that. Like and as well with biodynamic, you have a lot of that fresh soil coming through as well mm. because but, of but the root it, structure it, of it. It's well. very true. And of course, the bouquet and the taste—you know, two as, as Ned is inferring. But you know, the bouquet, the aromatic side of it. Well, what happens there? It's activated by air. It's activated by water. It's activated by time. So, 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 you know, give it those three things, like great wine. Give it time in a glass, and this thing performs. And the more flavors there are in the biodynamic, the you know, the, the greater that experience is. So, how so, much time should we give that in the glass? To I mean, bring? I mean that's, that's how long is a piece of string? <laughs> you know, it's it's you know, it, you know, if you opened a bottle of Chateau Latour, you don't sort of put on a timer. You know, it, it, it does its thing. It depends on the temperature. The warmer it is, the faster it, it, it will evolve. Mm. Um, and of course, we've got the added thing of water. If you add a drop of water to it or, or more, mm. um, that is also activating that aromatic uh, um, profile. Uh, the, 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 the flavor group known as the aldehyde flavor group are hydrated by, by water. And mm. I'm a great advocate, I mean, more so than Ned, I, I'm a great advocate of adding water to my dram, to my whiskey, um, not only to activate those, that aromatic profile, um, but also to dilute the alcohol. You know, we bottle everything at 50%, yeah. want, wanting you to dilute it down. You know, we've diluted it already from yep. cup strength to 50. And we're then saying, well, okay, now you take it down to the strength you like, mm. depending on the mood you're in and who you're with and which whiskey it is. Um, so that you can, you know, because these are natural whiskies, because there's nothing in it that shouldn't be there, you can add water very safely, cool water if you want from the fridge. You know, I don't, yeah, that's, that's not a problem, better than ice. Um, and you can dilute it down to where you like it to be. Um, and I think, you know, th- you know, this tyranny of, you know, you know, should you or shouldn't you add water? I think it's a no brainer. You've got to add water. The question is how much? A teardrop, that, that's the minimum. That's the minimum to activate those flavor compounds. Or as much as you like. Sometimes I add as much as 50%. You're only diluting the alcohol. Because Ned has put these together so well, so intrinsically knitted, and there's nothing there that shouldn't be there. Remember, you know, we have the ingredients on the back of the label. Mm. It's yeast, barley, and water. That's all it should be. Mm. Well, that's all it is in this case. So it, because your brain isn't sort of going, well, hey, what, what, what's that doing there? You know, you know, what, your brain isn't being sort of, you know, sort of tricked by additives of whatever sort. You know, that harmony, that balance uh, um, is, is what makes it such an enjoyable drinking experience. Mm. And the adding water is you're not breaking it. Mm. That's, the, that's the important thing. You're and, and, ju- and just at the 50% water, we call that a morning dram. <laughs> <laughs> that's your so, breakfast whiskey. So, so, <laughs> so, so Mark has his, his sale said on now, add 50% water and you can drink it before 12 o'clock. Yes. Right, so have you, uh, have you got <laughs> your 50-50 uh, glass sitting there with you now or... Uh, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I don't. I was going to say so that that spice that you're that you were mentioning in the biodynamic 
in particular, I normally associate that with a uh, a French oak cask. So when I generally when I'm tasting a whiskey, I'll go, okay. "Yep, all right, I reckon they've matured that in a French oak cask to get okay. that level of spice." So, so but that hasn't the, happened here. When I, the, the the four cask types used in this are off the top of my head now, the percentages might be right: thirty-five percent. Uh, Force fill, 17% Virgin American, 26 French, and 22 VDN or Vander Natural, roughly. So that should be 100. But and I'm just this will tie into the question that uh, Ian is asking mm. as well. Fermentation, so, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we did a terroir study, which basically had two plots, one in uh, southeast of Ireland, Bunclody and Wexford, one in Midlands in Athoy. And uh, Dr. Dustin Herb from Oregon State University uh, did it as a peer review paper in conjunction with uh, Chagas, which is part of the Department of Agriculture and uh, Taklock and Thompson in Scotland. So uh, Bournemouth are also, also involved. And one of the things we found is we can attribute uh, flavours like that to soil. Peer review paper, scientifically mm. proven. So we have some uh, soil series like such as uh, Clown Roach, Elton, Seafield, and those different uh, soil series give different flavors. So we can say that uh, a, a, Clan, uh, a Seafield soil series has a little bit more fruitiness, uh, fresh fruit. Um, mm. You could say that an Elton then is a bit more, has a bit more barnyard and clovey notes in that. So, yeah, while you associate casks with different things, that's more so finishes, which we don't mm. do. So they start yeah. in they start in the cask. So when I'm putting the whiskey together, what I'm trying to do is bring together a balance so that the casks are obviously involved. They're very important for the micro-oxygenation and maturation. We have good good spirit and good wood. You know, that's why you're able to drink that at three years old. Mm. Um, but what we're looking for is we're looking to promote or showcase the flavors of the farm. It's harmony. It's about harmony. Yeah. Harmony is what we're looking for here. Uh, um, if you want to taste the wood, go and lick a tree. It's an awful <laughs> lot cheaper. Yeah, it's an awful lot cheaper. So, 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 so the, the art of what Ned is doing, putting these bottlings together, is that none of these things should, you know, whack you in the face. Mm. It's about harmony. It's about balance, and that's why every single farm, all thirty-five, every single one goes into the same profile of wood right across the board. We've spent 8 million euros in wood because there is no shortcut. You need yeah. good wood. And not just, oh, look at us, aren't we clever? We've got some fancy French barrels here, and then it's mm. shit over there. It's right across the board. We have it for every single one. So 200 barrels per farm, roughly, correct me if I'm wrong, Ned, Roughly no, yes. half American, half French. Roughly, okay? Everything goes up. So virgin American, virgin French. That's where we get the colour from. Mm. And then first fill American, we get the creme brulee, the vanilleriness, that sort of side of it, from the vanillins in the oak. And then the first fill French, which is where we get the spiciness mm. from Allier, the Trancé, Vosges, Limousin forests. Each, you know, different altitudes of forest, different grain of oak, different, and remember, American barrels are double the thickness, sorry, French barrels are double the thickness of, of American. So you get an awful lot more bang for your buck with 
French oak. But, but you've got to know how to use it. You've mm. got to know how to deploy it. Because if not, it, it can dominate. It can be excessive. And then your harmony goes out the window. Mm. Um, and then, of course, you know, the final piece is the sucrosity, which comes from the VDN. It's a, it's a shorthand term we use, vin du naturel. It's a French term for fortified sweet wines, you know, like sherry, port, Madeira, Banyuls, reed salt, etc., and that's right. where the, the oak plays a, a minor role. It's more to do with the sucrosity in the oak uh, um, that, that, of course, the alcohol leaches out. And so, mm. you know, when we come to uh, um, so each farm has that same profile. So each farm, in its own right, is a standalone bottling. So when Ned comes to put one together, he's got all the ingredients there to make a balanced, harmonious bottling and it, i can't stress harmony it, you know if you buy a great wine there's that wonderful balance between tannin fruit and acidity and you shouldn't taste any one of them it should be bang in the middle and that's when your your brain goes mm, yeah i like that that's that's singing that's singing um mm. as opposed to a discordant or there's too much tannin or there's too much fruit mm. or there's too much acidity it's that, it's that harmony. And that's what we're looking for. And we've yeah, yeah. created the ingredients to do it. And so putting it together is precisely so that you don't uh, taste um, any one of these things, that they come together in a, in a, in a, in a uh, harmonious way, which, it, which gives you a, a drinking experience where your brain's going, Instead of instead of your brain going, well, I, I'm not sure why that's there. There's something angular. This this is a bit odd. Your brain's going, yeah, nothing pointing. This is all yeah. going fine. Now, yeah, poor yeah. Old Ian, his now, question. Ian, so can, asking, yeah. uh, can fermentation times be changed for different varieties of grain or? Yeast? Yeah, well, a fermentation time. We don't time it. It's not. You know, we play what's in front. Uh, um, so we're not saying it's got to be this number of hours or that number of minutes. No. We play what's in front of us. And this is what distillers do at, at Waterford. You play what's in front of us. And we have, thanks to Diageo, because remember, they built this extraordinary brewery, um, which you know, Ned was involved in, um, back in 2004, um, and which we converted uh, or added to to create the Waterford distillery. You know, at the heart of, of Waterford is we've got the most amazing fermentation uh, facility, which is what a brewery is, you know, um, and that's what the attraction to me was of it. We've got all the gadgets, all the kit that you'd never normally find at a distillery. And one of those, one aspect is data. Our distillers can see what's going on in real time. So hence, when it comes to extending fermentation, that uh, surfer on, on the crest of the wave they can see what's going on, uh, um, and that gives us this control. So, so there aren't any specified times. So, you know, we play what's in front of us. And grains or yeasts, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, um, we're only using barley, so so uh, I, I I I can't speak for 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 anything else. And then, as far as yeasts are concerned, we're using the same for everything right across the board. Two two yeast strains to give us. Uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, um, a uniform approach so that really it's the terroir talking 
It's not mm. a manipulation from something like yeasts or or or, um, or anything else. Mm. Just 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 to tie the grain back then to um, the tower project, what we actually found is that the modern varieties of barley are very closely related. They're half brothers or sisters, or depending on what part of the world they're in, kiss and cousins. But yeah, um, but there's very relate, very very much uh, goes back in the the family tree. So that was quite interesting. So we decided then to start looking at older varieties. So the modern varieties had less of an impact on flavour uh, than we anticipated. So Mark has shown up a bottle of Hunter, Hunter which, is our, yeah, yep. yeah, which is our youngest, oldest variety. Um, and to discontinue around the 50s, we have varieties from uh, pre-1900 and around 1900, Goldtharp, Sprat Archer, Old Irish, which are giving us much different flavors the new mix spirit of those are very very different than uh the, the modern varieties that we have and with the hunter as well i think it's uh it that's a, a youngish whiskey as well but packs a punch way beyond uh way beyond and i mean it, it, it's quite shocking wasn't it to, to find when yeah. we did this study uh the tower study yeah sure we discovered there were two thousand flavor compounds two thousand you know, the industry thought there were 200, 2,000 flavor compounds. And we found that 60% of them were influenced by where the barley grows. 60%. Now, it's not rocket science. It makes sense. There are 10,000 wild strains of barley that have evolved over the last 15,000 years. When barley first started in the, in the, in the crescent in uh, uh, um, Mesopotamia, you know, Persia, Syria, um, where it first started there and then spread out. Um, and what, 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 you know, and of course, those varietals uh, are carried with them by farmers and the, and the wind and birds and whatever um, evolved in the environment that they found themselves, the terroir that they found themselves in. So roll forward, you know, um, to, to the 19th century. And, you know, in Ireland, there were, as elsewhere, there were wild uh, evolutions, adaptions of, of uh, we call them land races. They're called land races um, of, of barley, which I believe 5,000 still exist in Ireland. Um, and this that's a, that's a lot of different grain types, a lot of variations in such a relatively small area. Well, it's because they've they've evolved in, in their in in their tower. You know, the mm. soils, the the, yeah. the, the 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 humidity, the wind, the exposure, the heat, the mm. warmth, the stoniness. Um, you know, and the variables and the mutations. Um, mm. You know, are, are are infinite. So, so what Hunter did was this chap, uh, Doctor Herb Hunter, is he was, you know, he was obviously very interested in these land races, and so he developed this um, strain of barley and it was so successful uh, in 1959 that it was actually named after him which is very rare hmm. um, and we uh, were given access by uh, the Ministry of Agriculture uh, Jagas. Um, we were given access to their seed bank because hmm. what we discovered during our terroir study that, yeah, okay, you know, 2,000 flavors, 60% of them influenced by where the barley grows. Great. You know, we, we saw, we knew that, but now we've got the proof. 
But the thing that Ned was referring to that shocked us was that the varietal didn't make any difference. Hmm. We found that really weird. How come the varietal doesn't make any, that, that doesn't make sense. And then when we dug deeper, we found that a rather sad story in the, in the early 70s, round about 1973, when um, the whiskey industry was, and the, and the beer industry, were looking for the, the, the ever greater um, efficiencies, mm -hmm. um, they started to research how to make better barley. Mm. And of course, it was all about increasing the yield in the field, the yield in the, in the still house, uh, um, climate adaptability, disease resistance, all very noble, good things. Yeah. yeah. The one thing that they overlooked was the flavor. Mm. And we discovered that the parents from which all modern barley is... Uh, um, is, is, has been propagated. The, the parents selected for this whole research program for the last 50 years, those parents were cousins. They were genetically <laughs> too similar. So that all that's happened in 50 years is we've replicated exactly, exactly the same flavor profile. Mm. And we found that just terribly sad. And so Chagas yeah, wow. gave us access to their seed bank. We were able to take 50 grams. That's a sachet, one mm. sachet of seed, half the existing uh, of stock of Hunter. Wow. And from wow. That, That's pretty trusting to give you that much of that little. Well, <laughs> correct. You know, it, it one sachet. So that one sachet, that 50 grams after four years ended up as 50 barrels. Hmm. Uh, um, sorry, uh, 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 sorry about that. Uh, um, I don't know where you've gone. Where have you gone? Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry, there you go. Uh, um, so, so that 50 grams became 50 barrels after mm. four years. Um, and of course, you know, you're into a different profile. Um, you, mm. you know, it's got more grunt, it's got more oomph, it's got more uh, um, uh, texture. And you go, wow, look what we've been missing for 50 years. So it gets you all terribly excited to go backwards to find out what the hell have we been missing uh, um, over the last 50 years. And just perhaps, perhaps we can make our own Waterford barley from these old flavors and match it with modern barley to get those efficiencies mm. uh, uh, um, of, of yield and, and, and growth. Um, so, so I suppose, you know, there's, there, there's, there's a raison d'etre, but, but, but fundamentally it's just to see a whole different, uh, um, whole different flavor profile. Mm. Um, and, that's, and that's what's so exciting. I mean, if you can accelerate, let's use it, you know? They'd keep seeing it. Yeah. Now, what's this one? What if we just opened? I've got one well, there. it's it, it's a it's a single farm. Yeah. Uh huh. So I can't identify the single farm because the Vinlock tops um, are color coordinated. So single farms are yellow, blue is organic, uh, ah. green is biodynamic. So I can't identify from from that. But uh, 
put it up and I'll have a smell of it and I'll see if I can tell you what it is. Heritage. Have a crack. What do you, what do you? I'm going to say is that. It's very, for me, it's very grassy. Um, very earthy, grassy, not as buttery, not quite as buttery, uh, for me. Um, I'll make it easy for you. Uh, oh, Grattensbrook. Grattensbrook. Oh, yeah. How did you get that one? Because yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I think, I did, I think I bought it from the UK and had it shipped yeah, over. And yeah, because Grattensbrook is uh, a UK exclusive, uh, a farmer called Andrew Bergen. And Andrew is uh, a conventional farmer. So we have conventional farmers. We have organic biodynamic and we have heritage farmers. Uh, uh, but Andrew is very interesting, actually, because uh, he, he writes um, articles on the local, on the Irish um uh, Farmer's Journal, which is the, the national paper. And Andrew is uh, a great example of uh, a modern conventional farmer who's promoting soil health and mm. is big into soil husbandry. And he's brilliant at that. So Andrew was actually the last farmer we distilled in 2016, in December 2016. Uh, he was farm 31, but he's very good. And the whiskey itself is very nice. And oh, very highly lovely. rated by Serge yeah. Valentin at Whiskey Farm, the, the most yeah. the most uh, uh, um, respected whiskey taster oh, of the lot. Oh. Uh, Serge Valentin gave it ninety. Oh, thank you. It nice. is it is lovely, and yeah, I think I went on a bit of a hunt because it's been historically quite difficult to get any Waterford here in in Australia. Uh, thankfully, that is changing. Um, but yeah, I went on a I went on a hunt and I found that and I paid the Australia tax on it to get it into the country and so it doubled the price. Instantly. It did double the price instantly. <laughs> Add yeah. more water. Add more water. And you'll get the volume. <laughs> so I've been I've been rationing it out and I'm now I've got I've got that much left. So and I've had it I don't know how long I've had it for now, but I'm. It'll be a sad day when I kill this bottle. <laughs> have you have you have you entered the terroir code? Have you entered the terroir code well, on the back one, of the I haven't entered it on that one, no. Yeah. I'm gonna uh, have to do but that. if you enter it on the website, it will give you all the detail and you and you can meet the guy uh, um and you can see where he's growing. Um and of course the, you know the ultimate thing which I loved is you can listen. There's a sound file, so you can sit there with a dram. And be carried back to where that barley was actually growing. Now, it's, it's a fun thing to do, but there is a reason. It's because, and we hint about it on the front of the label. On the front of the label, it says there, it says produce, produce, produce of, Ireland. of Ireland, not products, produce, mm. because remember, we all forget it is an agricultural produce, not a yeah. manufactured product, an agricultural produce. And we want to remind you, it comes from the barley. The barley comes from the land. So, so and, and we've shown you how different they are. You know, the, the flavors are different. So remember, it's agricultural produce. And so listen to it. Sit there. 
listen to the sounds of the farm, whether it's by the sea or up a mountain by a burn, or you know, you hear the crows or the tractors, or it gives you that 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 sort of connection. That's that's mm. what we're doing. If I had set up my audio properly, I would play it through so everybody <laughs> can get the experience. But what I'll probably do is I might actually put up my Tewa code so others can get in there and, and have a look at uh, what we've been drinking. Um, uh, there's an interesting experiment conducted by the James Hutton Institute with the use of rock on soils initiative applied to arable land, improving soil conditions. Yeah, James Hutton was a very famous... Uh, uh, um, uh, <laughs> have you... Have, have you uh, um, read that there's there's a thing called um, James Hutton's Arse, which is a geological <laughs> a geological book uh, about a very specific uh, 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 um, part of the geology of Scotland. It's quite, it's quite amusing. <laughs> we, we'll take a word for it, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. honestly, that's the title, yeah. James. Uh, I promise Hutton's you. Arse. I, 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 I'm not Hutton's Arse. That's it. Yeah. There you go. Now, um, Ian actually posted another question earlier. He's on fire with the questions tonight. Uh, going back to the wood type and the barrels, mm -hmm. uh, in a stage of a different wood type, something to help marry together liquid during maturation. Well, I mean, it's it's not something we're into. Uh, uh, um, I know there are various people that that have done the, these these things, and it comes again from the wine world, where where you know, yeah, there's a lot of innovation um, in in trying to uh, um, amplify wood effect for minimal um, expense. Um, mm. And, and, and I, I have to say, I mean, I, I mean, one extreme of this is, is you know, it, it, these maturation shortcuts, um, things like playing ultrasound, um, mm -hmm. um, you know, sh playing music, you know, all, all sorts of things um, that have been tried and tested and people swear by, you know, and they all quietly fade away and disappear. I, as far as I'm concerned, it's a very, very simple base. It's very simple. It's very simple. And it's about good wood. You need good wood. You've got to start the way you mean to carry on. Now, you know, this, this plethora of finishing, this craze of finishing, it's become the verb, you know, to finish. You know, what's it finished in? What's yours finished in? The question people should really be asking is, what did it start in? And why has it been finished? Why? It, and, and a simple reason, unfortunately, is because it's in shit wood. And therefore, putting lipstick on a pig is, the, the, you, know, the, 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 you know, the last resort. Um, yeah. You could argue that the marketeers are going, well, hey, we've got one pipeline and we can have five products on the line. You know, so there's a cynicism there, too. Um, and of course, you know, that association of, oh, let's do something sexy that stands out and everyone goes, ooh, you know, um, when really to take your attention away from the fact that for the last decade or whatever, it's been in manky old, tired, exhausted wood doing bugger all. Now, I learned this I, I, the hard way. Uh, um, you know, I learned this, first of all, as an independent bottler where you get to see the whole industry's dirty laundry. Um, and, you know, it's, it's industry-wide, you know, this, this issue. Since, you know, that industrial um, 73 uh, era of, of, distil of distilling. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's, you know I, I, it's almost an existential problem. 
um, you can add to this, you know, the, the fact that, you know, wood is becoming harder and harder to get good quality uh, wood because of the demands. Uh, but also, you know, the reason why these barrels were all recycled, it, it wasn't originally, um, you know, hands up. I think it was a, it, it was a um, it was a problem forced on the industry, um, certainly in the UK and, and, and Ireland back in the, that era of the 70s when you know their, their free run of barrels came to an end. Um, and you remember as an island, um, everything that comes to the UK and Ireland comes in a barrel, used to. Mm. Um, so all the wines, the Bordeaux, the Burgundies, the Rhones, the Ports, the Sherries came in barrels, were bottled at the ports, and then the barrels would got rid of to distilleries. And so, you know, up, up until the early 70s, distilleries had, by default, a fantastic array of barrels to choose from and to use, free, more or less. But that all came to an end when those wineries started bottling at source for quality control. Mm. And then those barrels just didn't start turning up. They, they appeared in bottle instead of barrel. And that's when the industry was obligated to recycle the barrels. And the trouble is, I think they just got used to it. Um, so do you, you think know, that's going to become even more of a problem in, in the coming decades? Yes, I do. I do think it's going to be a problem. Uh, and how, um, do you, how do you mitigate that? Well, relationships um, and, having, um, and putting your hand in your pocket. Uh, um, and, and unfortunately, I think for a lot of a lot of uh, uh, newer distilleries, um, it's one of the easiest things to save money on. And mm. as I said, you know, they, 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 these barrels are costing quite a bit. Um, so the temptation is to is to is to use dechar, rechar, all sorts of shortcuts. You know, going back to the question about adding staves inside barrels. Um, and, and, you know, my, my feeling is that, you know, you, you, you've got to bite the bullet, start the way you mean to carry on. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and, and, you know, I certainly learned that at Brooklady was that we fell into that trap where, where we compromised on, 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 on barrels, um, only to spend seven years decanting everything that we had into better word uh, um, so 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 you know what goes on in a barrel is really really a, a mystery um you know we know uh, there's the extractive uh elements which happen when you've got fresh oak um you know the lignin the vanillin and the tannin yeah those are extracted and account for in a in a new barrel about 10 percent of, of of the of the of the, the, the add to the existing barley flavors um but what's really going on the most important thing and of course that th th those initial ones are, are leached out very quickly so use that barrel again a second time and and th there's much less impact use it three mm. or four and there's none whatsoever yeah what is going on is and it's far more important is the micro oxygenation of the barley flavor compounds. Now, this is really important. Barley, in that little grain, at the, sitting on the top of you know, a barley, that grain has got the 2,000 barley flavor compounds. When we ferment and distill it, 
that appears, those exact same compounds appear in the new spirit. Mm. So what happens to those flavor compounds in the barrel to give you that maturation effect is micro-oxygenation. Day in, day out, 365, all the time. And so to, to, to that end, um, in it, the fresher the barrel, the more you get. The yeah. mangier, the tireder the barrel, those pores are all blocked up. Think of it like a mm. think of it like a sieve. You know, mm. and if you sieve soil, and it's you know, you, you, to start with, you get lots pouring through, mm. which is great. But then, as as you keep sieving, it it, you know, it all gets blocked up, and the amount falling through gets reduced greatly. Mm. That's what's happening with a barrel. Those wood pores, those oak pores, are being blocked up. And so, therefore, the actual maturation effect has been retarded. So the mm. older, the, the, the mankier the barrel, the slower the maturation mm. is going to be. And, you know, you know, we've all seen you know, third mm. drops of whiskeys that are the color of dishwater um, <laughs> and seem like they're sort of five years old. Mm. You know, they've been there doing bugger all. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. And that's why you know, the finish becomes so important. Mm trying to do something to remediate um, the fact that it was in um, tired, uninspiring mm. wood. So Ian raises an interesting, uh, uh, I guess, point or, 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 or a, a tangent on the, the whole um, aspect of, of terroir, um, the terroir of the actual the oak itself, the species of the tree, yeah. where it's grown, yeah. the conditions True. it's been grown in, and then yeah. uh, obviously the flavors that are going to come out from that, um, from yeah. the wood in those areas. Well, it's another level of terroir, isn't it's it? It's another yeah. layer well, of terroir. Well, every, every barrel is an individual. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. Just, just because, you, you know, um, we, we get our American casks, say, from Kelvin and Speyside Cooperages. So when mm. they're putting them together, uh, each stave has its own uh, characteristic. Mm. Uh, in 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 France, uh, where we get a, our, our virgin cast from Radu, they actually have a, a program where they can actually scan each stave mm. and they grade them. And depending on what customers are looking for, they can give them different specific yeah. characteristics from the stave so they can oh, wow. build the barrels yeah. for for you. Yeah, yeah. So that's you know that's exactly. what. The level that people are looking at now with Dave. So each yeah. each barrel is its own individual leg. Yeah, mm. yeah absolutely, absolutely fascinating. And and then of course you know the American ones, the whole aim the Ozark Mountains, you know, has been for conformity. So so that's almost the opposite of what's happening in in France. And you got the Vosges Mountains at altitude, and you got the Limousin Forest, which is below sea level. Well. Of course, those trees are going to grow differently. The warmth of the Limousin, they're going to grow faster. And the coldness of, you know, snow-capped Vosges Mountains, they're going to grow slower. So mm. those are going to have a tighter grain, and the Limousin is going to have a more open grain. Uh, um, mm. So, you know, you know you, you've already got and everything in between, the Allier, mm. the Troncé, Bertrange, these different... And remember, terroir, we've talked about this, you know, before... Terroir applies to a plant, not a person, not a distillery, not a winery, not a region, a plant. It's what happens to the nature and nurture of a plant, whether it's a tree or whether it's a grain 
or a serum. So, so you know, don't forget, you know, it's what happens to a plant, not a person or a distillery or a process or a, you know, whatever. And, 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 and the difference in the European and the American oak is, you know, the American oak grows a lot quicker. You know, maybe 18 years to maturity, whereas in France, it's maybe 200 years. Hmm. Um, and with the American oak, you can uh, quarter saw it. So actually, if anyone's interested, they could go onto our website and see we have videos done in France and America. Uh, but in America, you can quarter saw it, whereas in France, you actually have to split it and they have to turn it. And what happens is, uh, you know, the reason oak works as a vessel is that it can retain liquid, water, whiskey, whatever you want. Like, But there's a, a thing called, if I don't know, I'll translate a rain medulla that runs across the grains that keeps the liquid in it. Like, you know, hmm. so in America, in American oak, you can actually it's quarter sawn. You can do it. You can get more staves from a tree. In hmm. France, you actually have to find it. In a so stave. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you have to see where that rain medulla runs across the grain to keep it liquid tight. And so you actually get less uh, staves from a, a French or a European tree. Yeah. Hmm. You know, American staves, you know, exactly. Quercus alba, you know, it's got, think, think of, think of arteries with, 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 um, you know, sort of fat in them, blocking them up. Well, that's what happens. They're called tyloses and they block those, uh, uh, um, uh, the xylem and phloem that, that, that brings water and minerals up and down a tree. So, hmm. so, so, so that's what you, you've got these blockages. So think of it a bit like bamboo. With those knots, you know, it, it, it's it's what's happening. And so, if you saw through American oak, you saw between two knots, two nodes, they don't leak. Uh, um, whereas uh, French oak, Quercus robar, uh, uh, um, um, pedunculate oak, doesn't have so many. And so, if you saw through it, it's going to leak like a sieve. And so, as Ned says, you have to split it. You split it along the, 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 the grain. And that means inevitably that uh, French oak ends up being 32 millimeters, 33, 34 millimeters thick versus 15 to 17 millimeters of American oak. Mm. Uh, American oak barrels therefore are lighter, that they, 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 they are machine made, they are uh, oven dried. Um, it's all about you know, volumes of these things. Um, and remember, they're only used once, and then they, they, they got rid of by law. Mm. So that's why they end up in, uh, for, you know, for whiskey. Thank you know, thank God. <laughs> um, you know, but but you've got a very different philosophy uh, mm. um, with, with with French oak, and 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 you know, remember, we we got we got Napoleon to thank for these forests. In fact, we've got Lord Nelson. Yeah, Napoleon was going, Christ, why does my navy keep losing? You know, my ships are getting trashed. He said, because our oak is not good enough. And so he set down these, this program of forest building, um, you know, these oak forests and all the rules and regulations about what people can take and what they can't. Uh, um, and remember, for, in those days, one ship of the line, it takes 75 acres of oak trees to make one wow. ship of the line you know so it, 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 but but of course <laughs> uh, after trafalgar or whatever um it takes 200 years for a tree so we all moved <laughs> ironclads so, so thank goodness thank goodness 
uh, um, because now those barrels are used for wine and whiskey. Yeah, wow. Um, and, and of course, we've been using them, uh, you know, since Brookladdy times. And I, I can mm. remember when I first used French oak and I was ridiculed by all the famous, you know, talking heads in the whiskey industry. You know, how dare you? You know, th you know this is abnormal. It's an aberration. You know, this is, you know, they're all doing it now. They're all doing it. But of course, <laughs> I knew that French oak was used because my mm. first job in the wine trade in 1980, my very first job in the wine trade was to bottle a Bordeaux wine in London, in the cellars in London, to bottle it, which we did. And then I remember addressing the barrels with a black marker pen to distilleries in Scotland. That's <laughs> what used to happen. And by 1980, it had all come to an end. And this was, this was the, you know, the last time, you know, the last era of, of, of London bottling. Um, so, so, so I knew that these were being used uh, um, as part of a programme. Uh, um, you know, you know, in the back in those, those days, they used anything, um, and of course, cherry barrels, sweet, dark, you know, covered a multitude of sins. Uh, um, but wine barrels, everything was used, everything. Uh, and, um, and just uh, with the oak as well, in one of the differences in between Scotland and Ireland is that you don't have to use oak. It says in technical files, yeah, such as yeah. oak. But that's a cock-up, isn't it? Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they definitely. Specify oak but, in the but, but Mark being the ultimate, uh, let's give it a go. We, we got a few different casks. We got a, a mulberry, a ch chestnut, wild cherry, acacia, and a few a few other ones I can't think of. But the reason oak is used is because the others leak badly. Not very good. Uh, yeah, no, no, uh, no. You know, we, we tried it just to see because we can. Um, yeah. And you can see why oak was always used. You know, it, oak without doubt, you know, is, you know, and the French have used Hollywood. They've used all sorts of other, uh, you know, woods. But oak is the best without doubt. So, yeah, yeah. so I mean, anybody yeah. who comes to Waterford, you're very welcome to try. Well, we, we need to ship over uh, some of our, um, our red gum. Cars. No, not eucalyptus. No, not eucalyptus. You, uh, some red gum casks. So there's a number of Australian distillers yeah. now using red gum. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about it. But but oak. I mean oak. I, I, you know, it's been good enough. You know, you know, for two thousand years, it's good enough for me. Um, mm. What we have done is we found oak in South America, um, oh, yeah. um, out in Colombia. Um, so you can imagine getting that out. Sorry, was that was that oak or was that coke? Oh, yeah, oak, <laughs> oak, <laughs> But that's <laughs> precisely <laughs> the problem. I mean, deliveries <laughs> deliveries are very erratic. I can tell you. Actually, actually Luke, it would reason. be easier to get a container of <laughs> so uh, aforementioned powder than it would be to get that's Quercus humboldtii, and Quercus. Humboldtai grows at altitude in, 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 in the Andes, um, and it's the only oak variety in the whole of South America, so right up in that mm. northwest corner. Um, and, and bizarrely, that does have um, a, 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 a strong influence of eucalyptus, eucalyptoid, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, and, a, a sort of and, menthol, which is quite interesting, quite interesting. Mm. But we haven't got many, and we can't no, get many. We, 
we, we, we got we got one which was very very interesting and when I contacted the guy the supplier it took me I think two and a half years from the time I contacted mm. him to actually get the load mm. and when we got wow. the load and we started using it uh, on the farms I contacted him again and I'm after contacting him about four or five times and he hasn't got back to me <laughs> and uh, uh, not to cast aspersions on where it is but I think you know, we were looking to play, as Mark would say, with a straight bat and get everything done properly. And I think, you know, to get things done, maybe you had to grease wheels to, to move things along. And we were also <laughs> in, in the middle of pandemics and the whole lot. But it, yeah. a very interesting yeah. uh, cask, a yeah, very interesting wood. Not not, yeah, written, wow. not very well coopered because they, no. they clearly don't have the skills. Uh, um, oh, hook head. Yeah, hook head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hookhead. I th- no, I, sorry, you go, Ned. Carry on. I, I think Hookhead is is uh, is a favourite is uh, for 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 nearly everyone, and I would describe it as uh, water whiskey that's uh, really really drinkable. So mm. some of the whiskeys we do uh, or have done can be a little bit challenging, and might be a glass. You'll have a glass or two, but with the Hookhead, you can drink the whole lot. In a group, yeah, maybe okay, not on the one. I've got that much left that I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm rushing out again. <laughs> and and hookhead is actually it, interesting. Just, um, it's in in Wexford. It's it's beside um the oldest working uh, lighthouse in the world. Uh, a farmer by the name of Martin Foley and his son Pete has taken over now. Um, and it's in the most idyllic settings you will see if you go out to the look up the terroir code of that and see it. Mm. Like you throw your leg over the ditch and you're in the ocean. That's literally it. Like, yeah, you're literally in the ocean. It's that close to it. Like, and yeah, the, the lighthouse right beside it and a really unique, really unique soil down there. I'm just posting uh, <laughs> from Plankett Home. I'm posting the table. The distillery is there and, and right. that's Hookhead here, right down there. Oh, okay. yep. Yep. So it's well, the most exposed place you could possibly think of you know it's it's surrounded by the sea this whopping great lighthouse historic lighthouse it is windswept it is storm blasted um it is the most extraordinary place to grow barley uh um but boy does it produce something interesting yeah and, and, mm. and the, the one other thing about it is um speaking to some of the Bournemouth agronomists over the years and and the farmers you know, it wouldn't be unusual to have this, uh, the the barley uh, white because of sea salt yeah. and stuff uh, coming in. So, you know, it's always yellow, but oh, in different times, depending on the direction of the, the wind and, and salt coming in off the sea, you could have barley that's actually uh, uh, more white than, than, than that typical golden because of the influence of the sea. It's so close to it. Yeah, yeah. wow. Wow, you know, and 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 of course, a, a, a useless fact. Well, the useless thing is is uh, um, if that's Hookhead, um, that's the village of Crook, and there is a uh, um, an understanding that that when uh, um, Oliver Cromwell attacked Waterford, remember Waterford was the most important city in Ireland back in the Middle Ages. If you took a map of Europe. The only city mentioned in the whole of Ireland would have been Waterford. It was a very, very still is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and his, <laughs> there's a saying that that you know, Cromwell sort of said, "Well, I'm going to have Waterford, whatever comes, whatever happens." But I'm not sure 
by which way we're going, whether we're going by hook or by crook. <laughs> so that's wow. the saying, by oh hook God. or by crook. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I need to remember that for the trivia. It's probably bullshit. It may have... <laughs> That's historically supposed to be the story that's, uh, yeah, mm. that's associated with Waterford history, yeah, by hook or by crook. Wow. Um, yeah. well, there you go. Um, question, then, question I've got with the farm releases. Well, that's another one there. Look, uh, uh, that's Bano Island. That's really, uh, yeah. the hook head is here. Bano Island, uh, um, just, just there. Yeah. Um, that's another amazing place. You know, a sandy, 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 you know, islet. Um, yeah, so, right. so you can imagine, you know, the sand, you know, that gives us, you know, that gives us fruitiness, uh, um, whereas mm. clay gives us sort of more clovey, spicy sort of flavours. It, it, it appears um, that we can deduce at the moment. Am I just, because we were talking about um, salted barley and barley coming <laughs> through, that's, that's why... Am I You're getting a saltiness? Am I now it? getting a saltiness? I, under I, my I, on, on hook head, I have, a, as far as I know, my taste notes, uh, salted popcorn. Mm. Right. So yeah. the hook head has that, has that salinity. But mm -hmm. the other thing about it is we have inland farms that have salinity. And mm. a lot of the reason is from the soil. You're actually taking your nutrition from the soil. So the saltiness, there's that salinity in the soil. So it will impact over time. It's not maybe this year's harvest. So what would have happened over time as well around the likes of Hookhead or, or Bano is land would have been reclaimed and traditional methods of doing it in Ireland would have been using seaweed. So you'd get the seaweed off the beach, you'd bring them up in your donkey uh, and, and you'd start laying it on, on, on fields to help the nutrition and uh, to bring the, the field to life as such. Mm. So the, that breaks down then over time. So, you know, that's that's part of the, the properties of the soils as well. So different soils will have salinity and that mm. will come through in the barley. And lowest, but, you know, nice. windblown, windblown, yeah. you know, windblown and uh, stuff as well. Yeah. Crafty, yeah, yeah. you were going to ask a question there, Crafty. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, a question on, um, so vintage or harvest. So take, for example, hook head. Okay, yeah. so, so you, you released it one year. Uh, then you release it another year. Do you do you get substantial differences through vintage? Or, or yeah, you do. Yeah, we, we, we'd say uh, we'll take a few a few years harvest. Right, mm -hmm. uh, twenty eighteen was a, a terrible year for the farmers. Um, uh, so we had what was the beast from the east, where the uh, we had snow, we had rain. All the farms were late so, uh, sowing. So normally uh, between kind of the middle of February to the middle of March is when the harvest or the sowing would happen in the different areas. And then you're looking at uh, the middle of August uh, on for harvesting normally. But a lot of the farms in 2018 didn't actually mm. sow until April. And then we had a heat wave. So the crop came in really early. Okay, so that was uh, an unusual year, a very bad year for the farmer. So right. that's a totally different uh, flavor result for that year. This year is a terrible year. This year is probably mm -hmm. worse than 2018. 
uh, in, in, in that um, proteins are very, very high. Uh, there's a lot of uh, um, husk, there's a lot of disease. Like, we're going to be struggling to get uh, farms this year. But so, uh, that's, it, that's to do with volumes. Uh, um, but, yeah. but quite often, it's, it's a bit like grapes. Uh, uh, grapes um, that come from very, very hot summers, <laughs> short sort of fill, it, it's called fill, you know, the fill, when the grain fills. Uh, um, short, hot summers can produce very diverse flavours, whereas long, cold summers produce different ones. And it's not to say that they're inferior. Quite often, it's the other way around. Uh, um, so whilst we are moaning about yields in the fields uh, and the amount of barley that's going to get rejected, we're not necessarily worried about what it's going to do for us um, when it comes to flavor, because it's, it, it's sort of perversely the, the opposite way around. But this, this gives you an idea. That's three harvests. Uh, one farm, three harvests, um, two 16, 17, and 18. And you can see that, yeah, the profile's the same, but With each year has had yeah. slightly different thing. You know, two 16 yeah. has produced you know, more fruity flavors, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, more fresh fruit, uh, um, more barnyard, more herbal, whereas, you know, two 18 has given us more floral flavors, you know, that's, as you'd expect, you know, one year, the nurture, the nature, the harvest, the growing conditions, it's, it's you know, it, it's never going to be the same, is it? No, it's no, never no. going to be, unless you add it in a greenhouse or something, but it's never going to be the same. So you're always going to get subtle differences. But the overall fingerprint, as you can see, from these three different uh, 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 tower, you can see that they're well, you could do if I could bloody get the thing to work. Uh, uh, you, 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 you can see that they are, um, sorry, no, oh, advertising icons of whiskey, different fingerprints, you know. Different yeah, fingerprints. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fingerprints of each of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but you know, I, I mean, this is what I keep saying. It's, it's, it's not rocket science. You know, it's, it's, it's nature. <laughs> mm. uh, um, and, and, you know, it gives us all these, these, these variables. So to go back to your point about, you know, hookhead from barley from 215 versus barley from 216 from barley 217. Yes, they're going to be subtly different. Uh, um, you know that's, but but they're still going to have the individual uh, DNA of, of of that of that tower. So but with the know, with the Chateau La Tour isn't the same every year, is it? It's called a vintage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because the growing season was different, um, and and the grapes were nurtured and uh, uh, nourished slightly differently. So we so we touched on it. Uh, earlier uh, with uh, accelerated aging. Mm. Uh, so Lord Smeg, uh, curious to hear the opinion of Ned and Mark as men dedicated to their craft uh, about industry-wide trends of people trying to cut corners through accelerated aging and other NAF 
tactics. I think yeah. with the finishing two words there, we know where Lord Smeg stands on this issue. Um, is there a place in the industry for accelerated ageing? I, 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 I is, is there a place? It's always going to happen. It's always going to happen. People, you know, think about it. If you know, you know, if you can uh, uh, um, cut out five, ten years, you know, why not? You know, to me, accelerated aging. I've discovered. I mean, learnt this first at Brooklady, and 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 obviously I've carried it through to Woodford. Is that if you, very simply, if you use really good barley, if you use an extended fermentation, if you distill slowly, if you put it into decent wood, guess what? It matures or seems to mature earlier. In fact, I think it's the other way around. It's doing what it always would do. Mm. If you put it into shit wood, for reasons we described earlier, you're retarding the maturation mm. of those flavor compounds. If you distill fast, you're getting volatility, you're getting thinness, but you're getting twice the volume or whatever. You know, there's reasons why, industrial reasons. Uh, um, and so I suppose really what you're saying is artisanal approach versus an industrial approach. Um, it, 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 and, and, you know, I, I, I unashamedly, I, I, you know, I confess I am a natural flavor seeker. I am interested in natural flavor, mm. not artifice. I want the real, it's all there. I just want it to come out. And mm. so the whole nature of what we're doing is to let it talk, let it do its thing. Mm. Now, uh, you know, a, 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 an industrial distiller would say, well, that's a waste of time. That's a waste of money. That's a waste of, and they'd cut all that out. Um, and then, and then you get the smoke and mirrors of of sort of uh, lipstick on a pig, uh, um, and you know, woo woo, you know, don't look here, look over there. Um, fine, I I I understand that, you know, that, that you know, it's a different approach. And it, it's funny actually because, you know, one of the mottos at the distillery is low and slow. Take our time. There's no panic. You know, our distillation. Uh, when we're on heads or four shots, we're running at about 200 litres an hour, which, you know, is a, a trickle. A trickle, you know. Um, when we're on heads, it's about 400 litres an hour. But actually, you know, the, the long fermentation, the slow distillation, if you were to look at it uh, in, in, in a farm batch, which for us is uh, 75 tonnes of malt barley, uh, is eight brews, it only adds about a week, maybe mm. a week, 10 days, maybe. But like, if you think about it, then that gives us whiskey at three years old, which, in my mm. opinion, equates to something that's much older. So yeah. by even just adding a week or 10 days to it, you're, you're actually that slowness, that mm. taking your time, getting the real tight middle cut, the extra long fermentation is actually saving your time at the maturation. Mm. If you think of it like that, like you know, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's yeah. a very good way of putting it. Uh, so uh, it's a false economy. It's, it's a false economy. <laughs> it's a false economy. Yeah, the... it's, it, yeah, it yeah. is. Like it's, it's. Now, if you're looking to create volume to sell uh, stock, that's that's fine. If you know, if you that's something you're doing. But what what we found is, you know, by taking our time, 
by giving it that extra week, 10 days, to slowly do the thing, put it through the process. When we get to three-year-old or four-year-old whiskey, it'll stand up to a much older uh yeah, uh, everybody, yeah, everybody tastes our stuff, thinks it's double the age. Mm, uh, yeah, um, yeah. And that's because they've been, they've been exposed to, to, to these practices of which we've spoken. Uh, mm. um, and, you know, this arbitrary 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, it's been drilled into everybody. I mean, particularly in America, you know, but who says that sort of nine and a half is less good than 10 or, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Yeah. Uh, um, but it, of course, it suits certain uh, producers to, to to emphasize that. Um, whereas, you know, we don't put the age statement on the front of the, the on the front of the bottle. You know, you know, we want you. You know, this is what you need to know. It, it's Irish single malt whiskey from Waterford, and this one's organic. Right? That's what you need to know. Uh, um, you know, Irish single malt whiskey. It's whiskey made only from malted barley from a single distillery that's in Ireland, and it's called Waterford. That's what you need to know. Now, if you go to here, we've got the ingredients, and I believe we're the only people that do this. We, we dare to put the ingredients because we know there's no enzymes, there's no additives, colorings, flavorings, chips, essences, it is barley, yeast, and water. And we have the terroir code. You want to find out how old it is to the day? Well, it's all here. You want to know every barrel we've used? It's here. You want to know who made those barrels, where they came from, you know, which cooperage, you know, oak type? It's all here. Uh, um, so if you want to dive deep, it's on the terroir code. If you want to have some frivolity and some fun, it's on the terroir code. If you want to see the guys behind it, the guys that made it, the countryside, where that body came to the farm, it's here. It's here. Yeah. So, so do you, do you think we need? Um, do you think we need more um, regulation in labelling and and marketing? Taking uh, mezcal as an example, <laughs> where you've got. Uh, very strict rules as to whether it is artisanal or whether it's your industrial, um, and everything is on the label from a regulatory perspective. Is that the way that we need to be looking at things? Or well, I mean, I mean, Christ, uh, uh, and there's enough regulation around uh, uh, you know, for everybody. Uh, um, I, I've always had the opinion. I mean, with Renegade Rum, for example. You know, rum, you can make it anywhere in the world. You know, you know, everybody's doing it. Molasses, blah, blah, blah. Uh, um, the only people that have got a proper regulation is, is the French with Martinique and Guadeloupe with, a, with, with an AOC. But you look at those AOC rules and it's wonderfully Frenchly bureaucratic. Uh, um, and basically it says you can do anything you want. Um, you know, so it's, it's almost used. So we've made our own rules. This is how we think it should be done. Mm. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else, you know, but this is how we are doing it, right? And I think it's the same here with, with, with Waterford. This is what we believe. Um, this is how we feel. And we're not saying everybody's got to do it, or of course mm. not, I mean, each to their own. And remember, you know, the vast, vast majority of distilling is about a simple thing. It's the cheapest litre 
of alcohol possible. That's what they're going for. The cheapest litre possible. Because remember, until quite recently, most whiskey was destined for blending. It was never destined to be drunk on its own as a single malt. That's only something that's really happened in, in, you know, in the last 20, 30 years. Uh, so so you know, the, 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 the primary criteria was how to make the cheapest litre. Continuity, mm -hmm. global barley, Ukrainian barley, you know, high-density fermentation, recycled barrels, all about the cheapest litre possible. Mm. And then they got caught with their trousers down when single malt took off. And it's like, oh, well, we'll just re-divert this from blending into bottle. And that's where we've got the problem today, those big guys, is, you know, it's all being exposed, the bottle, you know, the trousers down. That Hence the lipstick on a pig, hence the finishing, hence the, um, the, the, all that, you know, don't worry about the barley, look at the wood. You know, you've heard it yourselves. 80% of a whiskey's flavour comes from the wood they say, well, that's absolute bollocks. You know, if 80% of a whiskey's flavor came from the wood, why bother with barley? Why not just stick vodka in a barrel and you've got single malt whiskey at the other end? Of course mm. not, absurd. You know, what is really relevant is what happens to those flavor compounds in the barrel. And yes, that is important. But to say that, but but the flavor compounds aren't going anywhere. They're in the grain. They're in the new spirit. They're in the mature spirit. Mm. You know, so so eighty percent of a whiskey's flavor comes from the wood. No, I, I mean, you know, give me a break. Uh, um, so so you know, you've got the industry itself that <laughs> doesn't know what it's saying, or rather, probably does, and and is is doing it, it to deflect away from um, what we've been discussing up to up to this point. Mm. Uh, John Helton uh, comments. Any comments on the rise of single pot still whiskey in Ireland? Well, I mean, I, I'd be interested to hear what Ned uh, has to say on this. But uh, uh, yeah. my, my feeling is pots. I, I, I take my hat off to Perno Rica, who, you know, during that sort of a uh, um, period of, of monopoly, basically went, "Well, we're going to take this idea of pot still, an inanimate copper object." and turn it into a defining category of whiskey. I, you know, you have to take your hat off because of course, single malt whiskey is in pot still. Uh, um, Scotch whiskey, single malt is in pot still. Um, and yet they've sort of, you know, they've managed to uh, uh, um, hijack this term for an inanimate object to refer to a type of spirit that is essentially a mixed mash bill of malted, unmalted and other cereals fine you know uh, you know fine it's 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 been done to to create a an irish only uh, uh um uh, uh category uh um my my personal feeling has always been that malted barley is the best double distillation is the best and that's what we want to do uh but each to their own i'm sure there's plenty of people um, who will you know, go on? I mean, when, when I started at Waterford, I was I was assailed by by one um, Irish journalist um, for for not doing pot still whiskey. Um, and, and well, it's my distillery. You know, you know, I don't want to do pot still. <laughs> yeah. do that. And of course, you know, why have a mixed mash? What was the reasoning behind it? 
And the, it, there's all sorts of reasons given, rather romantic uh, um, uh, post-event uh, uh, um, ideas in my book. Um, but I think, you know, back in the day, it, it was any port in a storm. Whatever cereal was available, use it. And whatever's cheapest, use it. And, of course, malting barley doubles the cost of the barley. So to use unmalted barley is saving you a lot of money. Uh, um, so, so you can see how, you know, back in the day, well, we'll use a bit of malted barley where those natural enzymes will you know, help our unmalted body. In other words, you're stretching it. Mm. Uh, and, and you can understand why um, as an economic imperative. Um, and it, I'm sure there's people that, that, that really enjoy that style. Uh, um, and, you know, good for them. Green Spot and, and Middleton Rare. Uh, I mean, some great whiskies, Red Breast. Um, sure, lovely, absolutely lovely whiskies. Yeah, it's, 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 it is true. Like, it's a, it's a category only for Ireland, so it was was really well done and i suppose w what's been interesting over the last few years is discussion around uh you know the definition of a single pot still uh whiskey in that i i'm not exactly sure of the percentages but i think you can use 15 percent other grains up to a maximum of 15 percent a lot of people have gone back to the history books and found examples of irish pot still whiskey being made with you know 30 percent uh, of this or corn and different things. So the 15% was probably what suited the people who wrote the technical file at the time. I won't get sued. <laughs> no, History no. is but, written by the victor. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, what's happening now at the moment actually is there's, there's a, a good bit of conversation uh, happening yeah. and I think in fairness people have listened to you know the distilleries that have, have started up and the people who are interested in the sector and said, listen, yeah, listen, we'll open, we, we'll, we'll look at it and we can come up with different, uh, different terminologies and different, um, different uh, categories and stuff. So there's a lot of uh, talk going on at the moment about, you know, we can open up the, the category a little bit more to have more percentage of other grains and stuff, which is very good because the people feel that they're being listened to and that uh, it's going to be something that will, probably helped the, the, the sector as well, like, you know. Mm. Well, yeah, to, to be prevented, to be prevented from, from uh, uh, playing with, with, with mash bills. You know, on the one hand, yes, here, 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 here is the rule written by the rule writer, um, preventing people from doing other things. That, that doesn't seem fair at all. That's probably where Australia has one up on you. In that um, we've got a lot of flexibility in 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 what we can mm. do and mm. how we can do it. There are, mm. uh, uh, I mean, the basic rules, uh, but within that, there's still a bit of wiggle room. Mm. So, mm. <coughs> excuse me. Um, so, where do you think? Um, actually, sorry, I, I I had a I was thinking of a couple of different questions at the same time. Um, in terms of the uh, the quintessentially Irish whiskey, your Jamison being triple distilled, and in general, when a punter thinks of an Irish whiskey, it is triple distilled, mm. uh, prominently on the label of of every Irish whiskey that you see, except for Waterford. Mm. Has has there well, been a bit of pushback 
on but that. It, it, but that, that goes it's back again. The the it does all the way back. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's very interesting because you know you you look at Scottish whiskey that was triple distilled, and if you look at a map, a historic map, the triple distilled whiskies were the ones around Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, Ockentosh and 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 and, and others. Um, in fact, you know, why? Is that because they had shit barley? Well, I, I think it was workforce demand. You know, you had a lot of Irish workers in Glasgow. Uh, right. um, you know, you all know about Celtic and Rangers, you know. And so I think a lot of this was to make whiskey uh, 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 for working men that was, you know, a pint and a chaser. Um, you wanted a whiskey that was, that was light and easy uh, um, to go with your pint. Uh, um, so I think it was a cultural thing. Mm. Uh, um, and it's noticeable that nowhere else in Scotland were they really bothering with, with triple distillation. Mm. Um, I mean, you, you know, we did a bit of uh, Brook Laddie just because we could uh, mm. and just to try. And I think one or two other people, you know, have, have done a similar thing. Because when um, you talk about when you talk about the cost of the whole process, the cost of well, it has a bit, of, but it's the, in, of the it's water, of the barley, of the, of the whole it's process, it's an inconsequential difference in in, in price. So it's not a, a price mm. thing. It's 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 a stylistic one. And right. in fact, I found I found an old sixteen ninety five account uh, written uh, by a chap imaginatively named. Martin Martin, um, and <laughs> he, he set out on a journey from Skye, the Isle of Skye. So it's well worth reading. It's, it's, it's an interesting one. He set out from the Isle of Skye and traveling around, you know, the Hebrides and stuff. And his observations are, frankly, you know, you know, jaw-dropping, you know. Uh, um, but one of the things he came across uh, was um, a, a whiskey called Trossarek, Trossarek. Um, and another one called Ushkivavol. And um, the first one, Tross Arik, was triple distilled. Mm. The second one was quadruple distilled. Huh. It had the most fantastic definition, <laughs> tasting note, which was more or less, you know, that if any man should have more than a teaspoon, you know, his knees will shake, his liver will fly, <laughs> and he risks death, you know. So, so we thought that we've got to give this a go. So we distilled both triple and then quadruple. So, as you know, in a, a double distillation, you're taking roughly thirty percent alcohol. You know, or, or eight or nine to thirty, thirty to seventy. Triple is taking it from seventy to eighty, and quadruple is taking it from eighty to ninety. Mm. Um, we nearly blew the place up. It was everything was shaking and rattling, <laughs> uh, um, and of course. Ushkavarvol translates to perilous whiskey. Um, but uh, interestingly, Tross Arak, um, everybody thought it was a, um, a, a Gallic term, but it turns out that it's fact it's not. It's, it's Viking, Tross, the three, and Arabic, Arak, for alcohol. Mm. So triple alcohol. Uh, um, which, of course, is a whole nother story. Is how did this Norse Arabic word end up in the in in, in the Hebrides? And mm. that comes back to a, a, a story we have on our website, where I uh, theorise that the origins of uh, a whiskey distillation 
in the west coast of Britain and Ireland, um, perhaps was brought by the Vikings uh, rather than by missionaries who, who sort of really turned up either 300 years before alcohol was actually invented, or 300 years after it was invented, i.e. the Crusades. But it's a very interesting subject, very interesting uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, article. Uh, about that's going to be our next conversation, I think. The origin, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, just, just on the on, on how we're perceived with the, the double distillation, that we, we also spelled whiskey without an e, mm. and, uh, <laughs> and no e, uh, no e, not well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the old way of spelling in, in Ireland. You can technical file says you can double or triple distill and you can spell yeah, it with yeah. or without an e. But I was out one day in the work uh, jeep and getting some diesel in it, and a guy came over to me and said, "You're after spelling whiskey wrong on that." And so, <laughs> so ensued, so ensued probably a 15 minute. Yeah, I, I'd like to call it a conversation, but he was trying to tell me for 15 minutes I was wrong. <laughs> so I said, <laughs> I said to him, I actually had to go onto the website, I had to go onto the technical file, and he said, "Yeah, but that's still not the way to spell it." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so like you, you can have all the things there you want like but as again it's a perception like yeah yeah uh, it, it's the no e is the always spelling it's probably a little bit of a, i'd say it's a little bit of a play on us not adding color e158 to it as well so there's yeah. no e in our whiskey um and i, I know the shoot the shit crowd do you have like might might like that a bit of a a bit of a grenade into the whole thing as well but, yeah, oh, yeah, it, <laughs> it's it's just yeah. because we're we're in, in in rather than being maybe an Irish whiskey, uh, we're we wanted to be seen as an international whiskey, um, yeah. in, in that you know we're only using Irish barley, which this is my first whiskey job, believe it or not, right? Mark took a gamble to get me involved, which is hard hard to believe that you've. I mean, you're doing all right. Yeah, well, the, the, the farmers are doing all the work and, and that, but <laughs> but but, He's but when I when I got involved in the whiskey, like I just assumed all Irish whiskey was made from Irish produce, naively, mm. you know what I mean. And uh, and when I got involved, then yeah, it has you can use grains from anywhere, but it just has to be done on the island of Ireland. I was just assuming, like, why wouldn't you use Irish barley? Why wouldn't mm. you use Irish grain? Like, you know, so it's the only reason. Well, the only reason I'm there in Ireland is because of the barley. I went there uh, um, after a. a, 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 a um, a seminal conversation I had while uh, at Brooklady, uh, sitting on the wall in front of the distillery one summer's evening, about now, harvest time. And I was with Duncan McGilvery, the late, great Duncan McGilvery, an absolute gentleman of a man. Uh, um, and he was our sort of head uh, uh, um, distillery guy there at, at the time. And um, we were, we, there was some issue with the harvest. We were talking about it. And we're sitting on the wall, looking out over Lockendall. And in the distance, you could see the north coast of Ireland, 30 miles away. And he said, he said, no, Mark, he said, in all the years I've worked here, which was back to 1966, I think it was. Hmm. Uh, he said, the best barley I've ever seen, the best came from over there, from Ireland. And I put that away in the back of my mind. And so when I left Brooklady in 212, I thought, well, it's very simple. I'm going to go where the barley is best. It's the raw ingredient. It's where the flavor is. It's why we have, uh, uh, um, yeah, 212. 
It's why we have all that wonderful flavor. I'm going to go, you know, and from that wall, if you take a compass and go and walk for 240 miles due south, you come to Waterford on the same latitude as Cambridge. It's mm. a hell of a lot easier to grow barley down there. Glacial soils, maritime mm. climate, ameliorated by the Gulf Stream. You know, the sunny southeast corner, it's sunnier there than it is in the south of England. It, it's, that's why I'm there. It's mm. the origin of the whole whiskey thing. It's where the barley flavor is. And you start at the beginning, agricultural mm. produce. Well, on that note, <laughs> uh, this has been fascinating. We've hit we've yeah. we've hit the hour and a half, and I know, uh, Ned, you've probably got some actual work to do. I, I'm I'm okay for the time being. I, <laughs> I, it, it's coming up to half twelve. This after half twelve, and I'm doing a tasting tonight with um, with a busload of Americans in Fate Lake House Hotel with Barry Chandler actually at, uh, oh, wow. at seven at seven o'clock. So. My my day is my day is going to be long, so there's no problem. The the more time I have here, the less time I have to actually do something. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> well, well, well. In that case, then <laughs> we'll throw it open for some more questions. When you yeah. when you see Barry Chandler, uh, yeah. tell him that the uh, the podcast has been very popular. The Waterford pop. Podcast oh yeah, yeah. Uh, ba ba Barry Barry's uh, Barry's a great fella. Um, and he, you know, like like yourselves, he gets the whole ethos. Yeah. He understands it, and uh, he he packages it very well. Like he he brings it together very well, and he brings people on a journey where you know we're not we're not talking to people, we're mm. not pontificating about it. We're just well, this is what we believe. Here's mm. some of the examples. Talk to mm. people in the industry, talk to the farmers, talk to the malsters, and just get everyone's opinion. And then you form your own opinion. You might think it's still bullshit, or you might say, this is interesting. I might look into this a bit more. Like, So mm. Barry really, really, really helped us facilitate. Well, uh, well, that's, that a, that's a very good point, Ned. You know, you know, the thing is, we're not trying to say that, you know, that, you know, this is Irish whiskey, and this is what Irish whiskey should be. Mm. Uh, what we're saying is... Um, we believe that double distillation is the optimum, that malted barley has the most, is, is the most flavorsome cereal in the world. Um, and the best barley grows in Ireland. So that's why we're doing it there in Ireland. So, so, so I really feel uh, um, that, you know, I don't want, you know, everybody's got their own, you know, all the other people want to do, fine, fine, fine. Just leave me alone. Let me do our, our own thing. Uh, um, and, you know, this is, uh, you know, I think you've got um, you know, an international single malt whiskey um, sector that is rapidly developing. International. And I put us in that category. I put one or two Scottish distilleries in that category. These are owner distilleries people that are distilling with a passion and a pride and a curiosity. Mm. What if, how about, why not try this? You know, uh, um, and I think that is, you know, and it's spread, you know, to, to Germany, to France, to Sweden, to America. Um, and, and, you know, like craft brewing, you know, whenever you've got a, a monopoly, it creates 
you know, you know, green shoots opportunity for, for, for something new to come up. Um, so what is your, what is your, what is your, what's next? What's your, what if, where are you looking now? You've, 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 you've pretty well, you've proven Taiwan. You've got that under your belt. Hmm. What's next? What, where's the next um, focal point for you to um, uh, showcase? What's, what's the next showcase for you? Well, it's not quite about what's next. It's it's more about uh, um, are we right? Uh, do people share this curiosity? Uh, um, you know, we know uh, that that that's, you know there's a you know a vast majority of consumers are very used to being spoon fed uh, by big companies. That's why big companies get big because they standardize the production. You know, they, they, they come and you've got to take your hat off. They do it awfully well. Mm. Uh, um, they want to have conformity, whereas we want the opposite. We want individuality. So mm. fundamentally different approaches. And individuality, by de definition, is more expensive. I mean, the yields growing older barley varieties or biodynamically, you know, the Arcadian way, the way mm. things were done, or Irish peated barley with mm. Irish peat, you know, yeah. you know the, the, the latest two farms, Woodbrook um, and Lacken. Sample. <coughs> Sample. We're up to sort of optimal level uh, um, um, peating oh, wow. levels, but with Irish peat, which mm. is totally different to Scottish. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fibric. Pete, it's full of fibers and roots, and it's brown. It's less medicinal. It's less sort of you know petroleum. All these things, because we're curious, we would like to know. You know, this has not been done for a hundred years. This is what Irish whiskey used to taste like: Irish barley, Irish peat. Uh, um, sure, there's peated Irish whiskies, but they're not Irish barley and they're not Irish peat. Mm. It, it, it's it's a curiosity, um, and then of course we can bottle it. You know, th this is what I love about what we're doing: is we can run with the hare, but we can hunt with the hounds. We can do both. We our ingredients are the single farms, mm. and then Ned interprets those ingredients like a master chef into a cuvee. Mm, an yeah. assemblage of those terroir-derived flavors. That's the goal. Mm. These are ingredients, and the goal is to layer those terroir-defined flavors together. That's why we're doing it. We have to isolate those flavored uh, terroirs first so that we can then bring them together like a great chef uh, um, to create that you know, mindfuck of flavor, um, mm. which I am after. So we can do both. We have the precision of provenance, precision of, of, of terroir, and then we have the creativity of the cuvee. Um, I, I think always makes me laugh is this. Here you go. Ooh, not that. That's my dog. Well, he does make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, oh, um, I've lost where, 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 where I was looking to show. Oh, there, here you go. There, there you go. Uh, Petrus, the mighty Petrus, Grand Vin, a 
statement of intent, grand van. But what it really, what that grand van means is it's been assembled from little wines. This is the big wine. It's been made from little wines brought together, terroir defined, harvested separately, vinified separately, barreled separately, and then brought together creatively to create the big wine. That's what Big Ned is doing for us. He's creatively bringing these terroir components together. That's why we're doing it. So, yes, we can have the, the wonderful uh, individuality of these different farms and, and compare and contrast, uh, um, which I, I love doing. You know, you, 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 you try one and you're, you're, you're totally into it. And then you try another one and you go off in a slight sort of tangent. Mm. It's, it's wonderful. And that's one way of uh, um, engaging with, with, with Waterford. But then there's also the cuvées. Um, and that's where it, things get really creative. So we have precision of terroir and we have the creativity of, of, of cuvée. We can do it both ways. We're involved in both. Wow. Yeah, with just with the Peter ones, the new ones that are coming out. So the Fennis Court and the Ballybannon, they were uh, 38 ppm, 47 ppm. Lacken, uh, which is 57 ppm, I think. think yeah. And we, we've actually had a single farm release of non-Peter whiskey for the In French Lacken. market of Lacken before. So even that as a comparison would be interesting. Yeah, and the yeah. other one then, Woodbrook. Is actually up at seventy-four ppm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's going to be a bit of a and and just an interesting fact on that and where we the uh, on the terroir code where you have um, you know Mark mentioned we get the sound of the farm. Mm. Uh, so Michael Carey was the farmer uh, um, who grew this for us, but this actually batch was grown on rented land in, in South County Dublin. And when the guy who went out, the audiologist went out to record the sound of the farm, he, he contacted Mark Newton to say, uh, there's no land here anymore. There's a housing estate being built. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so he said, well, what do we do about the sound? And we said, well, record you record it. it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, if you listen to it, there's stages where... Uh, there's heavy machinery reversing. You can hear the beep, beep. <laughs> I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think about four minutes in, uh, three or four minutes in, you can actually, if you listen really closely, you can hear someone saying, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so you won't you won't hear a sound of, of that particular uh, soil, but you'll hear what's happening to it at that particular time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, again, it's 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 about collars and cuffs matching. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, you know, and just just interesting. Then we, we um, have also done um, um, uh, peated um, cuvee, uh, mm. which is which is a little bit interesting. So how many farms go into that? Uh, the the four. So there's four in that. So uh, grat, uh, the Woodbrook, uh, Lacken, Ballybannon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so the, the, those four. So I think the PPM on that averages out around 55, 55 50 yeah. or 55 PPM. But that's really interesting. I think we called it FUMO, Mark, did we? FUMO. FUMO, yeah. FUMO, FUMO yeah. As in sumo, uh, so that, sumo. That, that's really interesting. But I mean, Ned, can I ask you? I, I, um, I know Ballybannon, um, I know the Fennis Court. So it's two farms. 15 kilometers apart, um, yeah. peated more or less the same, more or less the same way Irish yeah. peat. 
Now we've got, uh, um, and we'll come back to those again, you know, in the future. Um, but we've also got Fennis Court, and uh, so we've also got Lacken and uh, Woodbrook, um, where we've slightly higher uh, peated levels. Um, and what was noticeable is the terroir is clearly, clearly identifiable. You know, yeah. you know, cynics would say, oh, well, you peat is going to dominate it. You know, it will all taste the same. Well, no, they don't. The terroir dominates the peat. You know, the identity, you clearly got four different whiskies. Uh, um, and, then, you know, with the, with the peat on top. So, so when you're making the cuvee using those four farms, as opposed to the Waterford, which is what, 25 farms, you know? 20, yeah, yeah, yeah. Describe, because I'd quite like to know, um, describe, how did it, how did you work it? Yeah, well, see, when, when as I said earlier, when I started this job, this was my first whiskey job, and I, I probably made the mistake of thinking that I was going to be learning at the feet of Mark, but Mark just said, fuck off and do it yourself. Uh, <laughs> it, was, so, it wasn't quite that. What he said, no, he no, said no, no, no. the very yeah. first one, he said, he said, Mark, he said, um, what's Waterford meant to taste like? And I said, I don't know. It is. <laughs> What it is, you know, yeah. we're not trying to make it something specific. It's of the terroir. It's yeah. it is what but, it is. But, but I, I thought I'd be learning at the feet of Mark, like you know, rather than going after it <laughs> myself. But I suppose with the Peter Cuvee, it's it's again with any of the cuvées, it's trying to give uh, a complexity and a balance, but that they all come together and give different layers. No, mm. uh, no more so than the peat gives different layers of flavour. That when we're looking for, uh, say, the, the peat and cuvee, it's it's to bring those four farms together in some harmony. And what I was a little bit nervous about with the peat when we started doing it first was that, you know, any of the peat whiskies uh, I've tasted before, maybe apart from Octomore, was that it was peat up front, peat second, peat third. Mm. That's it, like you know. Uh, but when we distilled our first peated farm. I was surprised that it was barley first. So mm. peat is an ingredient in the spirit. Mm. Uh, so in the whiskies, you know, you know the peat is there. You can smell it. You can taste it. But it's a, it's like an ingredient. It comes in in different parts of the of a, mm. a wave as such. So you still have the farm. So I wanted to try and keep that uh, in the cuvee that you you couldn't necessarily taste uh, individual uh, farms, but you brought them together in such a way that. You are bought on different journeys hmm. at different stages. And for hmm. me as well, I think I've said to you before, guys, that uh, whiskey is an atmospheric drink. You know, hmm. there's, you know, the 2000 flavor compounds has been mentioned. And depending on who you're drinking with, how you're hmm. drinking it, yeah. uh, whether you add the water, whether you've been out for a day with the dog, you've got wet, you've got given out to when you came home, you're sitting at the fire, you can get those heavier flavors and compounds. And when, when we talk about the peated as well, it's very interesting because we still stick to our same brewing uh, uh, fermentation and distillation styles. So what you have is you have a light a spirit, a distilled light spirit. I think sometimes when people say they don't necessarily like peated whiskies, a lot of the guys who, who produce peated spirit actually have much wider cuts. They go a lot deeper into the into the cut points they might go even you know down to the low 60s where we would well we, you know this floating cut 
and we'd probably cut up around 66 ABV, mm. 65 and a half. We don't tend to go low. So you're still getting that very, very light spirit. Mm. So I think people will get a totally different uh, understanding and flavor of the peated whiskies. And yeah, so when I was bringing it together, it's just to showcase uh, the peat in just different levels, different layers. Uh, mm. When you go back to it, then you can get, oh, what? I didn't get this the first time. I didn't smell this the first time. You know, yeah. um, you know, and with it, like, it has a, when I think, of, when I smelt it first, I was surprised at the, how rich the sweetness was on the nose. Mm. I think mm. that was the first thing. You know, and you know, it wasn't the the bang of of Peter, and that it was kind of a, that rich sweetness, hmm. and you know, the peat did come in then, obviously, but there was also some kind of uh, salty notes. Uh, you know, you, you had that I think Watland Dog kind of a, a nose as well, but it was just you know, it, it's a sweet, unctuous um, mm-hmm. barbecue, um, heather honey. Kind of a style mm. to it, right? You know, and, yeah, and the, wow. peat, the peat it comes from the same peat bog, uh, yeah. So it's a it's a blanket peat bog. So it's brown mm. peat, uh, a very rooty, and it's got all the all is hence you know it's named fibric peat. So it's less decomposed mm. for the island peat, which is sapric peat, sapric peat, which is one step away from coal. No, it's 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 you know if more compression and it's cold, it, yeah. you know, so you've got a very very two totally different types of peat, um, mm. and, and of course the, the 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 fibric peat is less medicinal, it's fruitier uh, uh, um, in, in in flavor. So 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 I think you got that um, on top of uh, the spirit, which which as Ned says, you know the Waterford mm. spirit. You know, we take a narrow middle cut. That's one of the things about distilling. I mean, I, I, I'm rather dismissive, rather dismissively. I mean, I, I, I would say to people that distilling is the easy bit. Uh, um, Fermentation is the difficult bit. Distilling mm. is schoolboy chemistry. It's how you separate alcohol from water. And the attitude really is, you know, we know the spirit still is going to influence the, the weight of the spirit. You know, the taller, the narrower, the purer, and the fruitier the spirit's going to be. Okay, that's a physical. We, we, we've known that for a hundred years. Not, not a problem. But it's how you run the still. How greedy are you going to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so, so how much spirit are you, are you going to collect <clears throat> out of this? Um, and of course, the more spirit you take, the thinner it's going to be. Um, and the, and the other is 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 how much are you going to infringe? On the impurities, okay, mm. you'll get more spirit. Um, it will be cheaper as a result, but it's going to be less. And this is a literal less refined. So, mm. so we take a ten degree floating middle cut. We don't know where it's going to be. You know, each farm, each harvest is 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 different. So we play what's in front of us. It's a floating middle cut. But I mean, to put that into 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 figures, into numbers, you know, we are leaving. Potentially, you know, around about 75, 80,000 liters of spirit we could collect, but we choose not to because we want that purity. Mm. And we want to be able to say that you won't get a hangover if you drink this <laughs> because we're not infringing on the impurities either side. 
I'm uh, going to um, have to test that. <laughs> a, 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 a quick story on you that was put that on the label. <laughs> a, a quick story. Mark contacted me one Sunday morning to say, "Listen, Ned," he said, uh, "I've I been here with a, a farmer friend, and we're after drinking a good bit of whiskey, and you know, I haven't had a hangover on that." And he said, "Will you will you test it out?" And I was thinking to myself. Well, you're, if you're after drinking it, if you don't know if you have a hangover or not, then I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, I, we, we can't put it on the label, but I, I, I've tested it a, a, a little bit. And yeah, yeah. provided now you don't drink anything else with it, only, yeah. only the water with it. You should be okay. You should be yeah, okay. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn labeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, uh, just to segue slightly, have you got any news on your? Table upper. Where's that currently sitting at? Uh, we planted in in April, mm -hmm. uh, so it's a heritage um, variety called Schooner. And um, what, what's that made from? What, what, tell, tell me about Schooner. Uh, Schooner, Schooner is a. I put him on the spot. He's probably going to fuck it up now. Yeah, big time. Yeah. <laughs> Throw craft under the bus. bus. <laughs> Schooner is a variety which was used uh in, in brewing and um over, over years it, it basically got uh, farmed out because of improvements and in, in other barleys uh but for beer for beer beer for beer yep yep and um it's been uh i don't know how long ago it was resurrected but um it's a heritage grain uh it's used by a lot of craft brewers in australia and uh, a number of craft distillers so I'm growing it in, in one location not far from the distillery, uh, working with a local farmer. And uh, where I get the schooner from, uh, Voyager Craft Malt, uh, they're at a place called Riverina, which is um, it's about probably six hours south of Sydney. So we'll have two locations, uh, two very much different soils. Uh, where I am, it's, it's basically on the edge of a, an ancient inland sea. So there's a lot of limestone. Um, and yeah, we're we're growing it. I mean, it's small, very very small. <laughs> why did you pick this? Why did you pick schooner? What 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 was the reason behind it? Um, basically, because I'm using schooner now, and it, it, to me, it's a very flavoursome um, uh, barley. It's in whiskey. It's giving me a very the flavour that that I'm after. So I just wanted to stick with that, and so we can compare Riverina growing schooner and. Um, uh, Ralston, where I am. So it's, it's, it's quite interesting because you know, uh, in, in Europe, uh, um, the specification for brewing and the specification for distilling um, have quite been different. separated. Yeah. So mm. you, you get varieties that are, are are selected precisely for brewing or precisely for distilling. So it'd be quite interesting to see where you've got one that can go swing both ways, so to speak. So it'd be quite interesting to see. Um, what that does and when we did our heritage project um, and we had this ability to to uh, help ourselves to 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 the Chagas uh, Ministry of Agriculture seed bank you know which ones do you choose mm. so we, we we did research ourselves and of course the only criteria out there for these historic ones um, was the mention of the word flavor so we went back and all the research we could find to, to try and find the word flavor because yield, 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 yield is all very well. 
but we're interested in the flavor. So, so the ones we've chose, the four, you know, um, as, as Ned said earlier, uh, um, going back to uh, Spratt Archer, Goldthorpe, 1900, 1870, and obviously the original old Irish land race. Um, the, the criteria was where we found the word flavor mentioned in texts, um, mm. because that's the only thing we could go on. You know, okay, game changer varieties um, because of performance, but what about the flavor? Mm. Now, circling back, we've had another comment come in from, uh, from Ian. Uh, thinking of Pete, yeah. surely the different layers give a, a uh, variety yeah. of Yes and no. Uh, um, on Isla, for example, uh, the peat is about two meters thick. So you have bedrock, um, and then you've got a centimeter of clay, you know, from those glacial you know, lakes, and then you've got two meters of peat. So the first meter on that layer of clay is black, black, black. When you cut it, it's Schloops, you know, it's got it. It, it, it's, it looks like a, um, a, a chocolate mousse. It has the texture of chocolate mousse, and when mm. you cut into it, it it's slushy. You know, it, it's got an extraordinary evocative sound, and it's obviously very wet uh, um, and has to be dried. The meter above it, well, then you're sort of going from black to light to brown to heather. So, so, so you can't use that. You can't use that top layer. Um, that gets mm. taken off, and the, the meter below it is taken out, and then the top layer is put back. Yeah, right. So, but in a blanket peat bog, well, then you have got depth because a blanket peat bog can be 20, 30, 40 meters high, not deep. Shit. It's funny enough, it's the other way around. The, 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 the peat bog is rising above. Uh, um, the, the bogginess around it, which is why it's less uh, um, uh, um, decomposed and, mm. and therefore more fibric, more, 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 more rooty. So yes, on a, on a blanket peat bog, you've got more depth to play with um, mm. as opposed to uh, uh, um, saffric peat, uh, or certainly the peat on Isla. And of course, there's a lot of problems with the peat on Isla at the moment. Um, with Diageo and their maltings at Port Ellen, uh, uh, restricting supply, uh, more distilleries being built. There's almost twice as many uh, as when I started Brooklady. Um, so there's a bit of a problem uh, with peat. And of course, on top of all, you've got the environmental extraction and sensitivities um, in, in an area of, of, of um, um, special scientific interest. So, mm. so uh, it, it's going to be, you know, watch this space. Because um, mm. I think one or two whiskies on Isla are uh, inevitably going to change in style as a consequence. Mm. How do you balance the environmental impacts <coughs> of, of whiskey production with, obviously, the economic side of things? Yeah. I mean, uh, from well, from, from my, my perspective, you've got, obviously, the... the 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 growth and harvesting of the barley itself, the distillate, uh, the brewing process, which is, I mean, there's a lot of CO two coming off that. Uh, I don't know how well that's measured. Yeah, well, it's um, it's inconsequential. It's 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 it's, it's, it's to be meaningless. Right. Okay. 
but the environmental aspect, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, well, it's there's, more to do with waste streams. It's more to do with waste streams. You've got two waste yeah. streams. You've got uh, uh, um, pot ale, um, which is you know what's left in the still after you mm. uh, uh, um, uh, distill, mm -hmm. um, and um, you know, dead yeast and stuff. Mm. Um, funnily enough, classified as a uh, as a fish food, but but if you put it undiluted into into a water source, uh, um, the <laughs> biodiversity deficiency, the organic deficiency is very high. Mm. Uh, um, now, if you, you would need to be put in the old days, I and mean, this is this is a this is, this is a, f a funny story. Um, when we started Brooklady, uh, we were um, there's a pipe beside the distillery, um, so the water was taken from a, a loch on the hill behind by pipe into the um, distillery, and then um, back into the burn after the distillery, before it gets to the sea, and then an outflow that goes out 100 meters or so into the loch. And for, for 140 years, this, is, this was the method that um, Brookladdy's uh, um, uh, pot ale uh, and wastewater was, was you know, mixed and put back into, in, in, into nature. And uh, when we started uh, back in 2001, um, we got a visit from the Environment Protection Agency, and they said, no, you can't do this. And we said, well, you know, we're applying you know, for something that's been happening for 140 years. And they said, well, no, you can't. It will change the, 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 the diversity, the biological diversity of the lot if you do. So we're not letting it. So instead, we had to tanker it which is essentially a tankering water away to the other side of the island and um, to pour it down a, a specifically designed drain that goes underneath the Sound of Isla, where you've got this 12-knot, 8-knot current going backwards and forwards. So we had to pay to tanker water away to the other side of the island. It was ludicrous. Um, but then after a few years, we heard that, in fact... The Environment Protection Agency had made a mistake, and the biodiversity of the loch had been affected by not putting uh, our pot air into the water. <laughs> and all the oysters, all the mussels, all the scouts had all fucked yeah. off. <laughs> so, because, of course, they were being fed warm, warm, nutrient-rich nutrient water. Yeah, yeah, so they'd yeah. all gathered, you know, around the pier, you know, and everything. And now they'd all gone. And so we were told, you know, that if we were to reapply, that they would look uh, more favorably <laughs> at, our, yeah. at our application. But, I mean, I mean, I mean that's, that, 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 I mean, that's well, as everybody knows, environment agencies, they knee-jerk from one thing to another. There's very little, you know... Uh, um, continuity of, of, of thought or, or trusting the people that have been there, you know, farmers that have lived on these places all their lives. Uh, um, so, so anyhow, so, so pot ale. And then, of course, the other one is, 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 is draft. And draft is the, you know, what's left over after the barley has been, had the sugar extracted. Mm -hmm. um, and traditionally that used to go to farmers um, to feed cattle. Um, now, um, Different things are being tried. Um, you know, different uh, um, uses are being looked for uh, with with draft. 
And in our particular case, because at the heart of our distillery, we had this very unique mashing, well, not very unique, it's either unique or it isn't. This is unique. It's the world's only uh, um, trilogy of, 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 of kit at the heart of our mashing process, which turns the whole thing upside down, gives us this maximum terroir extraction and this maximum barley flavor in the bouquet, because most mills that operate in the whiskey industry, the barley flavor stays in the mill. But we've got a hydro mill, the world's only one, where we mill anaerobically. <clears throat> Therefore, the aroma of, of barley you find in all our whiskies, it's the thing that stands out you know, you know, from miles away. Um, and that's thanks to this, this hydro mill. But we then, um, having turned the whole mashing process upside down, we don't percolate water through it. The water is with the barley already. We've milled the barley to 100%. So by then putting it through a pneumatic press, like the wine guys do, you know, we can squeeze every last drop of terroir out mm. of the barley. Yeah. But it also means our draft is like sawdust. It's bone dry. Uh, um, and, and so, you know, for, for farmers, that's very attractive because you're not just shipping water away. Um, mm. But, you know, you know, I think there's a lot of research going on to see what else can be done with, 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 with draft, other, other uses of it. But that goes back mm. to feed cows. So, 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 you know, most of it gets recycled one way or another. Yeah. Uh, um, and, of course, the barley is coming from the end of the road. So, so, so. Um, and are pretty low. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the other side of it as well is, I suppose we're the biggest producer of biodynamic and yeah. organic uh, whiskey uh, in the world, and you know I think we for the for the peat we use about fifty tons for the peat, which is not a huge amount, um, and we're doing it for flavors. That's the way that would have been done uh, yeah. hundred years ago, and obviously there's a bit of talk going on uh, in Ireland about peat and stuff, and whatever legislation is there, we'll comply with that, but like. I think the uh, biodynamic and the organic uh, amount of barley we're buying more than off puts the the the, the fifty yeah. tons of peat. I, mean, I think this year we're probably going to do about you know forty five percent or forty percent is going to be organic, uh, mm. our heritage, our biodynamic yeah. barley. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's what we call Arcadian. It's the old ways. Yeah. Um, so we're doing it for flavor. <coughs> we're interested, and there's a historical relevance. Um, but extracting peat. Yes, you're taking it from underground and then you're putting the top layer back. Fine, all right, okay. Uh, um, there's a thing about emissions, you know, uh, um, burning peat. You know, you know, some people say that that's not a good thing, you know. But uh, um, so domestic fires, you know, that are frowned on in Ireland using peat. Um, mm. Whereas in Scotland, it's, it's more about uh, um, uh, extraction. So, you know, you've got two countries you know, side by side, and they can't agree as to which is the, um, mm. you know, what the influence is of, of, of peat. But I think the scale is very, very small. Uh, mm. um, and I think we've got a, 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 um, a, um, a historical relevance there. You know, we're not doing all our stuff, peat, and we, we don't intend to do really any more. Uh, mm. um, and then, you know, the organic and biodynamic, you know, th those were the ways that farming used to be. So really, the full hat trick would be a whiskey that was biodynamically farmed, um, that and 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 was peated, 
that that would be that would be the ultimate uh, um, authentic with the uh, oak grown on premises as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, uh, uh, um, set that up for two hundred years in the future. There's too many green tannins for using oak uh, where we are. Um, that, mm. that's, it, France is, is certainly better for for for, for, for that. Uh, Construction-wise, mm. not a problem, but but flavor-wise, um, a little bit too green. Um, mm. The talent, too green just, the wood. Just, just to give you a heads up, lads. I have about another ten minutes, and I'll have. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We were going to let you go half an hour ago, but you said you've got time. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I forgot <laughs> Mark was on the Zoom yeah. as well. Absolutely. Well, look, it, it's fascinating. Absolutely yeah. fascinating. I will open it up uh, if there are any last-minute questions. So, Crafty, we want to send you a, a Tower expert. Uh, we'll we'll send you a Tower Waterford. I believe guy. so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> In September. <laughs> look yeah, after. Uh, you, you, you've you've had uh, you've had James Cowan at Waterford. We Say did. director out with you there. How did that go, Crafty? Yeah, no, that was good, mate. That, that was mm. that was very very good. Um, yeah, there was uh, there was a tasting one night, um, which was very good. We got to try the peated uh, as well. Yeah, and um, I missed that. No, you missed that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was, was an nice. exceptionally was really good. Night. <clears throat> uh, my <throat> personal favourite on the, on the night was um, the hunter. Oh yeah. yeah, I just found the flavour. It's intriguing, just so isn't it? Yeah, intriguing. intriguing. Intriguing is the word. Yeah. It shows you what we've lost, you know, and, and that—that's mm. the sad thing. You know, we've wasted fifty years of of, of that flavour evolution, uh, um, and 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 those flavour evolutions. I mean, Hunter. The interesting thing with 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 his thing—that's the last direct connection with the land races. Because he was experimenting with the land races, the naturally occurring ver- variable barleys that had evolved within the terroirs of Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. so, so Hunter is an expression of that. Um, it's the last direct link. Uh, um, so 1959, yeah, it, it was used for, for, for the best part of a decade. So you could argue that you know, what stimulated the whole single malt whiskey boom in, in you know from the mid 80s onwards was those single malts distilled in the 60s that's what mm. did it distilleries that had been shut down the stocks offloaded but they would have been distilled with barley like the hunter ones that actually had more flavor not the post 73 industrially researched varieties mm. that we've all been obliged to use ever since now, you know, people say, well, why, why use them? Well, it's very hard not to because there is a committee that decides which varieties are recommended for the following year. And it's the big brewers, the big distillers are on that committee. And we, we, we're on it, but we get no say. Um, and, you know, they look at the... They look at all the, all, all the benefits that this new variety will have um, and they recommend this for distilling that for brewing so inevitably the seed merchants drop what they're doing and they propagate those new 
varieties. So it's mm. a one-way ratchet. It's only ever going the way of the committee. So from year to year, whatever happened last year gets dropped, and this nice new shiny one is the, is the one that gets propagated. So you physically can't get the old ones because no one's propagating them. You know, um, mm. that's, that's, the, that's why it becomes this one-directional uh, uh, um, uh, advancement. Um, so unless it's no advancement at all. Uh, we've had, uh, so Ian piped in again saying, uh, not that much use in Australia, but draft can be mixed to have an organic way of gritting roads. Yeah. We end up with more dust. <laughs> and of course, pot air and draft mixed, you know, they're, they're looking at uh, various uh, um, electrolysis mechanisms to try and create alternative fuel sources. So there's mm. all sorts of research going on uh, with, with, those, uh, um, with those waste streams. Mm. Mm. Awesome. All right. Well, we've, we've well exceeded yeah. uh, our, our time. Thank you so much for for taking the time. Enjoy whiskey. Uh, enjoy it. Whatever we, it is. We have enjoyed yeah. immensely. And yes. I'll greatly enjoy those samples that you're going to send over. It was new, Ned. I get Megan on it. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I've got her email. I'll, I'll click her message now. Um, <laughs> thank you, everyone, uh, for joining us. Uh, this will go up onto iTunes, Spotify, and all the rest of them in uh, probably tomorrow. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us live. And again, Mark, Ned, uh, a pleasure as always. Uh, thank yes. you for well, your thank time. You. Thank you for your knowledge and expertise. And, uh, and transparency. And transparency. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. uh, well, well, I mean, finally, this is what we put on the bottle. It's in the glass. Everything you need to know is in the, on this bottle. And in the mm. glass at the bottom, you will see our creed is, mm. in, in, you know, actually in the glass, in the bottom. I haven't got terroir traceability transparent bottle yet. <laughs> <laughs> terroir traceability transparent transparency yeah. is yeah. embossed on the bottom of the bottle. Wow. Awesome. And I just want to say as well, Thanks very much for your support, guys, over there. Uh, you're, you're great uh, followers, friends, and uh, advocates of ours. And yeah. we, we really appreciate it as well. Uh, not a worry. Thank you for doing what you do. And keep doing it. Keep doing it. And we will be uh, fans for many, many years. Uh, all right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. I'm going to roll the outro for our sponsors. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch you all on Thursday. Thursday, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Double, double episode this week. Yay. Yay. All right. Thank you.